Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the ideas and content expressed disturbing or objectionable. Yeah, Hi, you're looking younger than I thought. <laughs> Nobody ever tells him that. I'm ancient, man. What are you talking about? Him? He's really young. Yeah, he is. Hold on. I'm not Dr. Fredericks. <laughs> but he plays me on TV. Hello, everybody. Once again, this is Dr. Todd Fredericks, Assistant Professor of Family Medicine at the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. And uh, today we've got, uh, well, once again, another great guest. I've been waiting for this interview for a long time. Uh, we're going to talk about direct primary care and um, with Dr. Richard Samuel in, in Idaho, and I'll let Nisarg take over from there. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Rotations. Uh, my name is Nisarg Bakshi, second-year medical student. And uh, as Dr. Fredericks, Dr. Fredericks mentioned, um, we're joined by Dr. Richard Samuel from out in Idaho, uh, talking about direct primary care. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Samuel. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. And we're also joined by two of my colleagues, uh, Taylor and Julia, who've taken time out of our rough exam block going on here. So we appreciate you coming out. No problem. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. us. No, of course. Um, so Dr. Samuel, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm um, 60 years old and went to medical school um, at Oregon Health Sciences University in Portland, Oregon back in the 80s. Grew up in a, in a Navy family. My, my dad was a naval chaplain, and we moved all around the, the country and uh, even some overseas. And um, my father-in-law inspired me to become a medical doctor. He is a primary care physician, actually an osteopath, went to Kirksville in Missouri um, and practiced in New Jersey. And he practiced a kind of medicine that uh, I thought was you know, really special. Uh, pretty much the country doctor that uh, was able to spend adequate time and with patients and take uh, uh, be able to take care of a lot of different problems um, medically, as well as uh, spiritually and emotionally. And that's what inspired me to go to med school and uh, ultimately kind of led me to direct care later in my career. So how did you end up in, in direct primary care? Because uh, most doctors usually end up working for hospitals or larger groups. Um, so how did you end up in your role? Well, that's a very good question, Asarg. Um, you know, uh, I was in the um, traditional insurance billing practice um, out of residency. I did a residency at a county hospital in California, Modesto, California, to be specific. And we were trained uh, at that residency to uh, basically manage medical issues that were uh, rural, rural type care oriented. So we, we took care of a lot of different uh, problems, pretty wide ranging. A lot of the uh, residents at that uh, residency went into extreme rural medicine or and went overseas. And so when I got out of residency, I moved to Washington State and practiced in a rural area and um, decided that, uh, you know, I was starting to tire of the insurance regulations, insurance burdens, and I decided to try to get back to more one-on-one, -on -one, uninterrupted, unimpeded care with patients. Um, and so I moved to Idaho and over a course of about five to six years, uh, morphed into a cash type practice, um, which subsequently uh, kind of uh, evolved into a retainer based direct care type practice. 
Yeah, so can you, you know, for our listeners that might not know, um, can you define exactly what direct primary care means? Uh, how does what you do differ from that of, of what you were doing before in a hospital or in a, in a larger practice? Right. Good question. Direct care basically just uh, refers to a uh, unimpeded one-on-one relationship with that the, the physician has with his patient. And um, there's, there's very little, if any, insurance interference or insurance uh, regulation. Um, uh, it's basically a style of practice that uh, predated uh, when insurance companies started to come on the landscape in the uh, after World War II. So basically patients pay the doctor specifically and directly uh, for his care. He receives or she receives no um, reimbursement from government entities or from insurance companies. It's a direct relationship between financial and, and medical relationship between the physician and his patient. So can you then maybe talk a little bit about the challenges associated with that sort of a system where uh, insurance and these government entities are no longer part of that transaction? So um, there are some, some, some difficulties or some challenges, I should say, in regards to this kind of practice. You really have to be adept at uh, business management, at marketing, at, so to speak, hustling. Uh, <laughs> For, for patient patient uh, you know patients to sign up, um, so you have to be much more proactive at uh, generating you know patient panels. Um, when you're billing insurance, um, basically patients come to you because their insurance has has you on their preferred provider list, for example, and so. Um, Patients basically show up at your doorstep when you're billing insurance. Whereas, as a direct care doctor that doesn't rely on insurance, you know, uh, activity in that sense, uh, you really have to be uh, uh, interested in in marketing. You have to be interested in in trying to get patients to to uh, come to your practice. You have to know. You have to be able to market the pros, the advantages of direct care for you know the, the appropriate patient. And it takes a lot more energy in that sense. So that's one of the biggest challenges. And the other challenge, Sard, is uh, trying to educate the, the the country, patient population, the patient, as well as the medical community about what direct care is and how it is advantageous for you know a segment of the population. So then how do you market yourself? How are you able to find patients? Well, um, forums like this, you know, are, are very helpful at education um, and marketing. Um, we rely heavily on social media where um, we, we utilize uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google Pages. Um, and that typically is probably one of the more effective ways of getting the word out as to what direct care is, as well as finding the appropriate patient, the patient that's interested in participating in this model of practice. Um, we also tried a number of different other things, including advertising and newsprint. That's that's difficult. I've, I've done educational seminars uh, that seem to attract patients that are interested, for example, in weight loss or in management of hypertension. Um, so those are some of the, the major ways that we 
we uh, get the word out. Um, we're a part of a, a chamber of commerce locally that that's somewhat helpful. Um, so those are some of the more successful ways that we're able to get the word out. But as with any medical practice, probably the biggest draw uh, that draws patients is word of mouth. So they, so patients will state, hey, you know, he spends more than adequate time with me. We can take care of, you know, many different problems with one visit. Um, you know, I can get in the same day or the next day for an appointment and I don't feel rushed. And that kind of word of mouth really is, uh, contagious. Yeah, and I think that first point you mentioned is huge, especially about education. Um, you know, we had Dr. Pamela Weibel on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, and she talked about her direct primary care practice, and it was the first time, oh. yeah, and it was the first time I had even learned that that was something that we could do. Um, I didn't know that that was even an option for us, so it's it's really cool to hear about it. Um, but can you maybe talk a little bit about the specifics of, of your practice? Like, what does your office look like? Do you have a staff? You know, how does a typical patient interaction take place? Well, uh, like I said, patients can get in usually the same day or the, the next day for urgent care issues. Um, I have two uh, full-time staff, and they, they double as medical assistants and office assistants. And they uh, manage a lot of the phone call, the phone traffic. Um, uh, Patients have my cell phone number, so if there's an emergency after hours, uh, they can reach me. If it's something that can't wait till the next business day or wait until uh, the week weekend is over, they can contact me. They have my email address. We do video chat sometimes for more visually oriented problems that someone can't come in for, such as dermatologic uh, concerns. Um, they can. Uh, Facebook message me. So, you know, there's ways for patients to get in touch with me. My patient panel is very, very small compared to what I used to have when I was billing uh, insurance. For example, we, we used to see about 4,000 patients prior to when I went to direct care. And now our patient panel is about 400. So it's much easier for my patients to get in, you know, within 24 hours uh, for a visit. Um, they, uh, we can afford more time uh, taking care of you know, as many issues as they've got. We also do urgent care as well as primary care. So, you know, if someone cuts their hand on the weekend washing dishes, uh, we're able to get a text or a call and I come in on the weekend and sort them up. We're trying to increase the convenience and trying to decrease the uh, cost of having to go to an emergency room and uh, wait there. And Pay, pay a substantial amount of money for something fairly simple like that. Sure. And, you know, we all have like a lot of loans and we have all these payments that we make just to get through med school and, and try to get out and, and start working. So how does, uh, you know, are you still able to pay back your loans? Are you still able to kind of stay afloat with this practice? Um, how does that work? Well, that's a very good question. Um, you know, uh, in, in my experience, I, I, practiced traditional insurance-based medicine for um, about 10 years. So I was able to pay off my my student loans at Oregon Health Sciences University pretty quickly. Um, the, the real challenge is for a resident coming out of residency, you know, someone that's recently graduated and has, you know, school debt, 
um, to start a, a direct care practice straight out of residency is a is a is a tough a tough hill to climb um, because you know for the first couple of years you're you know you're you're basically starting from zero and uh, income wise and you have to spend a lot of energy and time you know spreading the word educating people showing that you care showing that you know you really have to have you know all the goods. And there's not a lot of income for the first couple of years. It takes some capital to get equipment, find a space that's that's sweet, that's got some visibility that feels homey. Um, I know of some. I know of some uh, recent graduates that have been able to successfully do that. You know, start a direct care practice, but it is tough. Um, my overhead, my excuse me, my outlay when I started this practice back in 2004 was about $10,000. I took out about $10,000 in loans. I bought you know, lightly used equipment. I just got the basics and um, was able to pretty much uh, get back to even after about six months to a year. It was able to pay off that that small loan. Um, but uh, you know, I'd already had about 10 years of traditional practice under my belt. So it was a little bit easier. Yeah. Do you guys have any questions up to this point for Dr. Samuel? Uh, yeah, sure. Hi, Dr. Samuel. Um, I was wondering, do you find that most of your patients are still able to afford most of the services you provide? Um, especially if like, you know, some of them like maybe can't like afford like private insurance. Like I was wondering like, you know, how expensive like do some of these procedures you provide like get up to? Sure. Taylor, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, so we have basically what we call a retainer model, which is where patients will pay uh, a certain amount per month. And in our practice, it's based on age. So if you're younger, you tend to have less medical problems, not, not always, but that typically is the case. And then if you're older, you have more. And you, so a 30-something-year-old 30, 30 person would pay $60 a month and somebody in their 60s would pay $95 a month. And anything that I do in the office, it's covered under that fee, that monthly fee. So if I if I sewed up a hand, if I did an exercise treadmill test, if I you know, took out a thrombosed hemorrhoid, you know, anything that procedure-wise, uh, as well as standard office visits would be covered under that fee. So. So most patients, most patients find that very uh, user friendly. Our, our our fees are posted clearly on our our website, and um, you know there's no hidden hidden charges. Now most people can't locally can't afford those fees. You know some some patients can't. Even that's too much money for you know a certain segment of the population. And so, you know they typically don't sign up for my my services. Whereas I would say we're within the range of 70% of the population in regards to charges. Um, most of my patients, Taylor, have a, um, a, a catastrophic insurance policy that they pair with my outpatient services. And so they'll, they'll pay for both. You know, they'll pay Blue Cross of Idaho for you know, a high deductible uh, plan, and then they pay me for most of the medical care they need. We really encourage that, and we want to. We really make clear that direct care is not insurance. You know, it is not. It does not qualify uh, for a patient under the Affordable Care Act to have insurance coverage. So, 
you know, for that reason and for others, for, for safety net reasons, we, we encourage, you know, a catastrophic insurance policy as a backup, as a safety net for those high ticket, high expense medical issues. You're saying that uh, you pull out a suture kit, that's covered. That's covered. You pull out some lidocaine and a syringe. There's no additional charges. That's You've built your models in such a way that you cover the cost completely and in total based upon the monthly subscription fee. That's correct. Um, so patients, things that, that our practice or the fee would not cover would be imaging. So if someone needed an x-ray of an ankle injury, for example, that would be something that they would either use their insurance for or they'd pay out of pocket. Uh, labs aren't covered, so blood work at a lab would, would be out of their own pocket. Um, you know, obviously, subspecialty care, if I needed to send somebody to a cardiologist for complicated chest pain, that would not be covered. Um, hospitalizations, of course, and uh, emergency surgeries and, and planned surgeries wouldn't be covered. But 90% of what somebody standard somebody would need in a standard type fashion would be covered under our fee. Uh, medications are another thing that we, we do not cover. Um, so if you had a prescription for uh, lisinopril, you, you would need to either use your insurance or pay for that out of pocket. Now, with, with all that said, we do have this substantial discounts for uh, labs. We have a negotiated contract price with our major lab carrier. We, we use a wholesaler uh, medication, a medication wholesaler nationally that that we basically pass pass the substantial wholesale price on savings on to our patients for uh, medicate for many medications. So, you know, there are some uh, additional benefits beyond just the, uh, the the services that we offer in the office that we pass on to our patients. Um, but uh, yeah, the fee covers someone would need medically. So this, this raises an interesting question, not to take it too far from the SARG, but it's always this issue, and I'm glad you'd address the lab thing, because I've heard of direct primary care practices that do do negotiation and can get fairly substantial savings for their patients across what their local hospital or local lab vendor will, will have if they do it through a contract through the direct primary care practice, as well as the pharmaceuticals. But I wanted to ask you, do you find yourself more sensitive to prices now that you actually know what your patients have to pay? Exactly. I mean, you know, um, we really try to get to the bottom line, you know, cost-wise for our patients. We try to be very proactive in uh, negotiating uh, substantial steep and steep discounts. Um, we, we try to use facilities that offer discounts, for example, with, uh, with imaging. We use a, a local provider that uh, charges our, our patients substantially less than the hospital would for CT scan, for MRI, for, for x-rays, and so forth. But yes, I'm much more cost-sensitive uh, than I was 15 years ago when I was billing insurance. That's really interesting. Uh, one question I had was, what's the response been like from patients? Uh, do they like this format, or, or, or do they come to you with, like, what sorts of feedback do they come to you with? Well, um, it's by and large quite positive. You know, our retention rate is substantial. It's probably on the order of 80 to 90 percent. Um, we have very little uh, patient turnover. Um, once patients uh, are able to experience the benefits of our practice and the hands-on approach that we provide, it's it's 
frequently we see people wanting to stay and not leave and, and go to another uh, provider that bills insurance. Um, so, um, you know, it, uh, it's a real positive in regards to uh, people wanting to uh, stay and they spread the word to their friends and family you know about you know how this type of practice is much more personal and much more user friendly, much more convenient for them. And especially today, uh, you know, rates of physician burnout are higher than ever. You're, we're looking at a lot of doctors who are unhappy with their profession. Um, have you noticed any of of those symptoms of burnout in your practice, or, or is the way that you do things typically immune from that? Well, part of the reason a lot of us go into direct care is because we've, we're feeling the burnout of medicine. I mean, I felt that back in 2003, 2004, and that's part of the reason that I left my insurance billing practice that was crazy, crazy busy, and decided to just slow down, not burn out, try to get refreshed and regenerated. And, um, you know, that really has panned out in a positive way. I, I don't feel at all any burnout. I mean, I don't feel pressed to see 25 patients in a given day and spend seven to eight to 10 minutes with them rushing from room to room with the waiting room full of patients. That was majorly stressful for me. And uh, now I see six to eight, nine patients a day at the most. And uh, I, I just feel much more relaxed. I can, you know, do things like what we're doing currently, you know, previously it would be very difficult to find an hour and a half to, to talk with uh, you guys by, by a video chat. So, no, this is very mentally invigorating and relaxing for me in, in, in the sense that uh, I, I don't, don't have any burnout feelings like I did 15 years ago. That's awesome. And obviously, we're, we're glad that you can make time for us. Um, so real quick, you know, we're wrapping up the first segment of, of our discussion with you here. Um, but I wanted to jump to Julia and Taylor if they had any questions before we wrap things up. Taylor already broke the internet once. So Julia, you can go. Yeah, I had a question that kind of related to what you were just talking about. So with the direct primary care model, how patients are able to have your phone number and your email, your Facebook, do you feel like you have like a lack of privacy or that how does this affect your personal life? I guess is my question. You know, that Julia, that's an excellent question. And I was really concerned about that when I launched the cash practice back in 2004. You know, would I be inundated with uh, after hours calls? Would I be swamped with weekend visits and so forth? And, um, you know, um, patients are by and large, and I can say this with, with good confidence, patients are by and large really sensitive to my personal time. Not in the office, I get minimal calls from patients. Part of the reason is we can take care of all their problems for the most part when they're here in the office and there's no lingering, oh, by the ways that weren't answered. And so um, I might get one after hours call, and that includes the weekends, you know, one call per week, which, you know, I thought I'd be getting three to five easily on the weekend and at least one to two every night. And that doesn't, that hasn't panned out. I think you touched on a good point. A lot of patients, I think, 
It's the unknown that scares them. And when they have access and they know that they can call if they have to, or they've got a, a safety net and they don't have to make that expensive decision of going to an ER, not just expensive in terms of cost, but in terms of time, because you're gonna wait six, seven hours on a minor problem, maybe longer, 12 hours to be seen in an ER. When they know that, well, if I, if I get out of my depth here, I can just pick up the phone. It's amazing how that, how that de-stresses them, and they tend to do more self-care. They tend to uh, wait a little bit longer on problems to see how they develop. I've noticed that over and over again. It's amazing. And I think it's a key yes. to reducing costs in medicine, to be honest. I yes. really do. Exactly. Patients know that they have my contact number if there's an urgency. And just that fact alone reduces the anxiety level and the stress level dramatically. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science and is part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so that their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. Rotations is hosted by Nisarg Bakshi, produced by Todd Fredericks, audio engineered by Kyle Snyder, and edited by Brian Plow. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve all rights to content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators, and you must cite Rotations as a source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by emailing us at rotationspodcast at gmail.com, tweeting us at rotationspcast, or by visiting mediaandmedicine.com slash rotations. Thank you.